Welcome to Church 213. We're so glad that you're tuning into our summer series titled On Your Mark. As we go through the book of Mark, equipping you on how to run strong this summer for Christ, we pray this message impacts you where you're at and where you're going this summer. Thanks for listening. How about that praise team? Hey, the question is, and they, they set the table already this morning. What has mercy done for you? What has mercy done for you? If you're glad to be in the house of the Lord this morning, say amen. amen. If you're glad Jesus is alive, let me hear you say hallelujah. Man, alive. I almost, I almost had a spell over there. Hey, if you have your sermon guide, we're going to jump right in. We're going to jump right in. Uh, like Pastor Dom said, thank you, Pastor Dom, for your team and what they do, the sound guys in the back, and everything that goes into making Church 213 an amazing place to worship the risen Savior. Thank you guys for being a part of that. Like he said, our last series was I Spy with My Little Eye. We went through the attributes of God because the greatest prediction of a person's life is what their heart conceives God to be like. Okay, we've said that every week for the last eight weeks. And that is so true. And so I thought it was important to, um, to, you know, to talk about the nature of God and then roll into um, what we're going to start today, which is working through the book of Mark, because we're kicking off our summer. And summer is such a busy time for people, right? You know, everybody has a lot of moving parts. And so I, I thought it was important for us to work through the book of Mark this summer. That's why it's titled Own Your Mark, because I want you to run strong. I want you to make an impact this summer. I want you to run well this summer. It's busy, especially for families. You know, the kids are out of school. Um, grass won't stop growing. Um, you know, kids have cabin fever. Everybody's trying to see the ocean at some point to make sure it's still there. You know, why is it everybody runs to the beach like something happened to it over the winter? Um, but really, if you think about it strategically and statistically, the months of June, July are, are some of the least attended in the body of Christ, in, in church on Sunday mornings. Um, and I, but I believe it's also the greatest opportunity because of that, because so many are out and they're going to be on mission. So it was important to kind of give us that shot in the arm for us to be on our mark, how to run well this summer, because Jesus, like Pastor Dom said, has given us this commandment to go. Right? To go locally, to go regionally, to go globally with the gospel. We're called to be fishers of men. Amen? And women and people. But can you really call yourself a fisherman if you never catch fish? I mean, really? I mean, you can't. You know? Can you call yourself a farmer if you really don't do any farming? Can you call yourself a ball player if you never really play ball? And so I think that um, this summer... I am convinced that there's an opportunity for some fishing, right? Not just fishing, but some catching. And God has been doing some catching, some drawing here over the, well, since January 1st. And we've seen 15 lives rescued from death to life. We've seen families join. Hallelujah. To God, to God be the glory. Just overwhelmed. So, so yeah, so we're going to work through Mark, how to run well this summer. And, um, we're going to run well, and the reason that I want us to run well with the priority of the gospel is because 
this isn't just the place to run well. We, we run well out there, whether we're at work or at the park or at the pool or at the lake, at the beach, around the grill, at the supper table, at the house. We are called to run well, to go and be on mission this summer. This is on your notes right here. God gave us the great commission, not the great suggestion. Amen? It wasn't a suggestion. Jesus was very clear. We're going to see that in Mark 28. So that's where we're going to be as we kick off. So if you have your copy of God's Word and you're willing and able, let's turn together to Mark 28. Matthew, yes. Matthew 28. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Always good to have people that's got you back. Sometimes it's way back, but at least you've got it. Matthew chapter 28, starting in verse 18. It's on page 900 in my Bible, if that'll help you. It says this in verse 18. Jesus came near and said to them, man, that's special. God draws near to us and, and he speaks to us in very intimate ways. He says this, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Verse 19, go therefore and make disciples of all nations baptizing them, transforming them, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe everything I have commanded you. And remember, because that's a big task right there, and remember, I am with you always to the end of the age. To God be the glory. Amen. Let's pray together as a church. Father, we are thankful that the task that we have been given to fish, to go, to teach, to proclaim, to witness, to pour ourselves out to the people around us, God, that you have given us this promise, that we can do it because you have been given all authority. So we don't have to fear the results. We don't have to fear the circumstances around the call. We just have to trust you. Because you've got it all in your hands. You still have the whole world in your hands. And God, as we step into that place, as we run this summer, God, we can run with confidence knowing that you draw near to us. You speak. God, I feel you in this place. God, thank you, Lord, for dwelling with us. That you're in perfect attendance with us. And so, God, as we go this summer, no matter where we find ourselves going, that we can have confidence Full assurance and courage and boldness, knowing that you were with us to the end of the age. God, thank you for being an overcomer. God, thank you that your mercy is new every morning. And God, thank you for what your mercy has done in my life. And I pray that blanket of mercy will be applied to us this morning in a powerful way. And lives would be changed because of your truth, we pray it in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen. Okay, now go to Mark. Go to Mark chapter 1. <clears throat> you guys can have a seat. Mark chapter 1, <clears throat> which is on the very next page. You don't have to go very far. I don't want to wear you out. Mark chapter 1, starting in verse 1. I want to read this. This is going to be uh, the text for today. It's four verses, but four verses that will change our lives. It says this. The beginning of the gospel 
of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, as it is written in Isaiah the prophet, see, I am sending my messenger ahead of you. He will prepare your way. A voice of one crying out in the wilderness. Prepare the path for the Lord. Make his path straight. John came baptizing in the wilderness and proclaiming a baptism of repentance and for the forgiveness of sins. Now, I've titled the series On Your Mark. It has a, it has a race theme, how to run well this summer. <clears throat> but I was thinking about a race. There's something very interesting about a race. And I don't care um, if it's a foot race. I don't care if it's a horse race, a car race. I don't care if you're uh, you know, trying to race to see how many hot dogs you can eat. Every race, <clears throat> it has one thing in common. And it's this. It's, it's one person that does one thing to start the race. You see what I'm saying? It's that common thread. Because if they were, and that's important because if they were more than one person, then there would be this risk of chaos at the start because expectations would be unclear. You know, if you have a bunch of kids and multiple people are saying go, there's going to be a fight break out. Because somebody's going to feel like that they didn't know what was going on. And somebody get a head start. That's not fair. Right? So in a race, there's one person that does one thing. Because a racer can't obey if the commands are confusing. Amen? And so there's one person that all the racers give their undivided attention and allegiance to. And you know who that person is? It's that person that says, on your mark, get set, slow, flow, stow, low, go. That's what I do at the house. You know? So what are they waiting on? They're waiting for that one person that has all authority to give the marching orders, to give the go. And that one person has been, this is important, that one person has been given complete control over the racers because they've been given all authority. You with me? That person, whoever that person is, has been given all authority. And so the Great Commission is the final words of Jesus that starts our race. Y'all see where we're going? That's it. Jesus declared to his followers that all authority has been given to me on earth and in heaven. In other words, he said, I'm in charge. Clear. I, all authority has been given to me. God the Father has given the Son all authority up there and down here. When, when I say all grasp that, all authority. Do you have any areas in your life where you have all authority? Probably not, because there's always you know, somebody around us, the way our culture is, that has more authority, more say, more leverage than us. But when we're talking about the Lord Jesus, he says, my Father has given me how much? All. You know what that covers? All authority. So that's important for us as believers, because Christianity is no generic religion tied to some generic God. It's very specific. There is only one God, and it is the God of the Scriptures. Amen? And this is not a popular statement. And, and likely it will be illegal in the days ahead. But you know what? Throw me in jail. Did you get that on Facebook? Okay, because that's kind of where we're headed. Because darkness can't stand 
light. So we better be prepared, church. We better be prepared for the days ahead when we have to take a bold stand on what the truth is. And there's been some people taking bold stands for the gospel for all of the last, you know, 2,000 plus years. You realize every disciple, all 12, lost their life? Every one of them. Who would die for a lie? Nobody. It is evidence. So we need to be prepared. We need to have our faith. We need to have the rebar driven through our faith that we have to run well and not be afraid if somebody calls us a name because name calling is coming. Labels are coming. Perception is not reality, but our culture will make it feel like that. Muhammad said, I don't know the purpose of life. Buddha said to his followers, seek for the truth. Confucius said, I am not the way. Jesus rose on the scene and says in John 14, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life, I am the purpose for life, and nobody comes to or reconcile back to the Father except through me. The other guys... They were philosophers, but they weren't willing to make that bold stand. Jesus was, and it cost him his life. You know what you're going to get as a Jesus follower, what, what Christ says? You're going to get his commission, and you're going to get his cross. That's what we need to be prepared for as believers. You know, I believe, you know, you see these stickers on the back of the cars that says coexist, and it has all the symbols of the world religions. We can coexist here, but only until physical death, and then the path gets really narrow. Really narrow. What does the scripture say? Narrow is the way that leads to life. How many will find it? Few. Wide is the path that leads to destruction, and many will go that way. And so Jesus is the only one who rose from his grave. And these other three men that I, that, I, that I referenced, guess what? They're still in their grave. You can go there. They're still there. And so Jesus has been given authority over the universe. And so he sets the clear conditions of the timing and the expectations. And we would be very smart to keep our eyes on the God of the Scriptures. Jesus the Messiah. Yeshua Hamashua, Jesus the Messiah. And Mark has written his gospel to that end. That's the point. So the first thing on your notes is this. Mark was a runner that knew you cannot lose focus. And I'm going to tell you this summer... There's going to be a lot of things pulling for your attention, for the attention of your time, the attention of your heart, the attention of your family. You're going to be traveling. You're going to be on the move. You're going to have out-of-town guests, okay? You may have your mother-in-law in the house. You find yourself outside playing golf or cutting the grass a lot. You know, I'm saying there's going to be a lot of distractions, not that your mother-in-law is a distraction. I'm not saying that. There's going to be a lot of things that come into your life that are going to pull and, and vie for your faith and your attention. So we have to run well this summer. I mean, typically, this room is full. This morning it's not, which tells me there's a lot of people running, doing summer things. And I want us, as we all, this summer, will we'll not be in here for different reasons. Let's run well. Amen, church? Let's run well while we're there. Mark was a runner that knew you can't lose focus. So let's look back at Mark chapter 1. 
The title of the message is, Who is this runner? So we're going to unpack Mark a little bit. Who, you know, why was he writing? Who is he writing to? Some background type things. Verse 1 of Mark says, The beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, as it is written in Isaiah the prophet, See, I am sending my messenger ahead of you. He will prepare your way, a voice of one crying out in the wilderness. He'll prepare the way for the Lord, make his path straight. See, I want you to notice something in the very beginning of Mark chapter 1. And it's the intense laser focus that Mark had. He didn't make any bones. Didn't, you know, he, he, didn't, he didn't try to go around the bush. He gets right to the point. He didn't waver on why he penned his account the way he did. Very clear. I don't know anybody that runs for no reason. I mean, naturally, we, we walk. You know, we walk because we want to move locations. But when our walk goes to a run, it's not natural. We run for a purpose, unless you're a kid. We, we, were, uh, we were at Matt and Sarah's uh, wedding last night, which was absolutely beautiful. So proud of them. But as we were sitting at the reception, we were watching kids that were playing, and they were running. Like if, if they wanted to go somewhere, they would run. We don't do that as an adults. I don't ever see anybody run through the parking lot to the doors of the church. You know? Have you thought about that? Kids run everywhere. Adults don't run anywhere. And if we do, it's for a purpose. We're running maybe because we want to get somewhere sooner. We're running maybe because our doctor showed us the results of our panel and says, you need to start moving your body. Maybe we run because something is after us. If I'm running, there's, I'm running from something. Okay? I'm not as scared of the dark. I'm, I'm scared of what's in the dark. So, you know, so you move quickly. You run for a purpose. You run because maybe you're trying to get money. You're trying to win an award. My point is this, that there's always a purpose for the run. Amen? Unless you're Forrest Gump. And he just kind of runs. And the, so, so my point is this. The gospel writers, they, they wrote for a very specific purpose in a specific style. They wrote with purpose. The gospel of Mark, along with Luke and Matthew. If you're with me, say I am. These three gospels are called the synoptic gospels. John's not in there. Matthew, Mark, and Luke are the synoptic gospels. And the reason that they're called the synoptic gospels is because the word synoptic comes from two words. The first, word is, the first part is sin, like um, synchronize. And the other word is optic, which means just to see, right? And so the meaning is, is this, that Matthew, Mark, and Luke work together so that you can see the same thing in greater detail. Those three, they're brothers. They're not brothers, but in the gospel, they, they all work together. They're synoptic. And so Matthew is writing to a Jewish, Jewish audience. This is his purpose and style. He's writing to a Jewish audience to fulfill and show that Jesus is the Messiah, as the Old Testament said. Luke is writing to one man named Theopolis to show that Jesus is the perfect Son of Man. John is written to the world to show that Jesus was fully man and he was fully God. And we have to believe on that to, to receive eternal life. The synoptic 
Gospels. They're all from a different angle, but they're showing the same thing. So what about Mark? I know that's what you're thinking. That was running in your mind. I could say, well, what about Mark? You know, what's the deal? Well, what you're going to see in Mark and what we're going to work through this summer is that Mark, man, he is a racer out of the gates. He is on the move. His gospel moves real fast. It it, it has very few breaks in the action. It's just bam, 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 bam. It's just one stride, and it's one hurdle after, after the other. The gospel of Mark uses the word immediately more than all the other synoptic gospels put together. So we're going to be running through the gospel of Mark. Be ready. Be on our mark. See that play on words there? So be a bringer, y'all. You know, be a, be a bringer. There's some bringers in here, I know, because every time you're here, you bring somebody new with you. I love that. Be a bringer. Mark is by far the shortest gospel, lengthwise. If you'll notice, there's no genealogies of Jesus like Matthew. Um, there's no angels. There's no shepherds. Um, there's no Bethlehem baby and like in Luke. And so the question was, wow, are these things not important? Did they not happen? Is there, you know, is there a conflict in the Gospels? Should we go into textual criticism and try to compare the different verses? Is there an error? Well, no, because Mark was focused more on what Jesus did than what he said. And so Mark was writing to the followers in Rome so that they might know one thing. And this is on your notes. He's writing so that they may know one thing. And it's this. Jesus is the authoritative, miracle-working, Son of God, Savior of the world. Every runner runs with purpose. So if I see you running out of here this morning, you will run with a purpose. I hope nobody runs out of here. I hope the next time that you run, it's going to be running to pick up your fantastic barbecue plate that you've purchased to help our students go to camp. Plug right there, which will be on Father's Day. So if you have not purchased your barbecue plate, um, you guys see the East. Uh, if Carrie has not already tried to threaten you with... with not allowing you in this room until you've bought something this morning. But no joke, we're, we're, uh, we want to send these kids to camp. We want to help them run well this summer. We want to platform Christ in their life. So yeah, that's, that's the theme of, of Mark. Mark's audience was clearly non-Jewish. Because what we see in Mark and what we're going to see is he leaves out certain things that would interest a Jewish audience and he has to further explain Jewish uh, customs and culture. For example, if I were writing, um, if I were writing a friend of mine who lived in Arizona who had never left the state about all that God's doing in this church, the way He is working in people's lives, from Isaiah to the Bushillans to the Jones family to the East family um, to the Andrade family to Casey, you know, it goes on and on. If I were to explain to them, my friend in Arizona everything that he was doing here at Church 213, I would have to explain, uh, you know, what pine people are. You know, what, are, what does a church look like that are, that are, that's tucked in pine trees? I would have to explain to him Georgia humidity. 
I would have to explain to them, you know, what a southern draw is. You know, I would have to explain them those things. But if I were to write, let's say, to you who had moved out of the area, if I were to write and follow up with you, I wouldn't have to explain those things to you because you would understand them. You with me? So that's kind of where Mark is. So what church history tells us is that Mark was likely written from Rome to Romans in the first century in the late 50s. Late 50s, 59, 60, 62, right in there somewhere. So if you think about that, that is really reliable because it's the same generation that was still alive that saw Christ crucified on the cross. These are eyewitnesses. This is like talking to your great uncle. I mean, he was there. This is only 25, 20, 26, 27 years from the cross. So it's still very, very fresh. Which is why I believe Mark is the only gospel writer that refers to verse 1 of his gospel. The beginning of the gospel of Jesus. You know why he could say that? Because it was fresh on his mind. It was there. He was focused because it was fresh. You guys write this down. This is on your notes. Life finds focus when Jesus stays fresh on your mind. To God be the glory. I'll say that again for the people in the back. Life finds focus when Jesus stays fresh on your mind. And my prayer for us as a church family, that we never get over what the cross has done for us. Because if it's fresh on your mind, it is real in your life, and you can't help but to let your light shine. So how do we run well this summer? Well, we don't lose focus. We, we, we focus and we let the cross stay fresh on our mind. That's how you run well. You keep your GPS on the gospel. So if we look at verse 1, the beginning of the gospel of Jesus, the question is, what is the gospel? And we hear, especially in church circle, man, you hear that a lot. If you're an American, you've likely heard that word, the gospel. In the words of Dom, that's, that's truth with some cheese on it. What is the gospel? Well, in the simplest form, gospel just means good news. Mark was writing to share the facts of the good news, but the idea of good news, it goes further. So we need to kind of unpack that a little bit. It goes deeper. The gospel, <clears throat> the, the word, you know, means good news. It comes from the Greek word evangelizo. Evangelizo, okay? And so that word is a mashup. Young people, you know what a mashup is? You know, it's a, it's, it has nothing to do with potatoes. Okay? It's a mashup of two words. And those two words mean good, like um, you, as in euphoria, ewan lizo. So it, the first part, is, it, it means good. And then the second part means angel, like messenger, which is where we get our word evangelize you see it e angel e angel evangel evangelize and the new testament what that means is it implies somebody with good news of a victory that's the key so it's not invasive 
It may be offensive, but you are not, listen, y'all, you are not out of line when you share the good news of a victory with someone. Because we do it all the time in the sports world. Believe me, if something exciting, and I know it's very rare, and it's a sad, sad day, but if something exciting happens in the life of the Florida Gators, Michael Rodriguez is going to tell me about it. If they have a win, which is very rare, okay, but miracles still happen, I'm going to hear about it. He didn't call me and say, hey, Pastor Ryan, you know, I apologize, or can you call me when you can, or I really don't know how to say this. You know, he is in my face with some good news about a victory. That's my point. If something happens at Truist Park that's unbelievable, you are going to post about it. You are going to share it. You're going to call somebody and say, can you believe what happened at the Braves last night because of this victory? To evangelize is not just for professional ministers. It's not for evangelists. Because the word evangelize means to share good news of a victory. On three, say victory. One, two, three. Victory. So the question is, what has been won? Right? Well, here it is. Mark tells us that he's not emphasizing just any good news, but a specific message about something that had been won, and he wants to tell some folks about it. So the gospel is the message of victory that Jesus is Christ, the Son of God, the Savior of the world, sent to proclaim release to the spiritually captive and recovery of the sight of those in darkness to set free the oppressed that are slaves to Satan and sin no more. Has anybody experienced that victory? Thank you. Right there. Miss Cynthia Bell has experienced victory. What has mercy done for you? That's the gospel. If you've been rescued, you've experienced a victory. And you want to tell some folks about it. You can't help it. You can't help it. Mark was a runner that knew that you can't lose focus. So I want you to know this. Man-made movements and theories have never accomplished and will never accomplish real freedom. And that's not popular in 2021, but this is why you'll never accomplish real freedom because it's only by spiritual renewal and surrender to Christ that liberation from oppression will ever be accomplished because it starts in here. And the reason that our nation is so torn is because what is in here is not grounded in anything substantial. And so the movements and the, and, the, and, the, and the theories, they don't hold water to really change anything for all of eternity because it's not rooted in truth. And so if we're going to run well this summer, we can't lose focus about what mercy has done for us. So when you're on your way to the beach to make sure it's still there, and you stop at a gas station, and you get out, and you're pumping gas, and there's somebody across the front from you, don't forget what mercy has done for you. Tell them about some good news. Tell them about a victory. Strike up a conversation and let the Lord work. You roll into the beach, okay? You're convinced that it's still there. You can see it, okay? You get out and you go into the, the condo or the hotel, the motel, whatever, and you walk in and there's, there's, there's a young person behind the counter and you walk up. Don't forget what mercy has done for you. Strike up a conversation and tell them about a victory. 
I'll never forget, I was working at my dad's store late one night. And I, I'm convinced maybe this, this young person had just come from some type of revival because he was fired up, but he was shaking like a leaf on a tree. And so he comes in and he buys something and he goes back out. And I could tell there was this struggle. I didn't know him, but he, I, I thought to myself, man, he looks like he's under conviction. I didn't share with him. He didn't share with me. But he walked out. And he turned around and he ran back in. He ran up to me. He's like, hey, can I tell you about Jesus? I said, absolutely. Let's talk about him because I know him too. But it was on his heart. He was on mission. Somebody had, had said, I don't know, go share the gospel with somebody. He thought I looked lost. I don't know. <laughs> but we had an opportunity right there. Is it awkward? Yes. Why is it awkward? Because it's not natural. People say, I was born this way. That's why you have to be born again. Because it's not natural. Come to the foot of the cross. Be on mission. Don't lose focus. The second thing is this. Mark was a runner that knew you can't look back. Mark was a runner that knew you couldn't look back. So we've seen why and where he wrote his gospel. Why did he write? We had that one central theme. That Jesus is the Son of God who died on the cross for sinners. The Gospels, the good news of victory. He had to tell the victory. That's why he wrote, who did he write to? To the Romans. From where? He was in Rome. But I want to ask you the same question that I asked myself, kind of digging into some of this. Who was Mark? I mean, who was this guy? If you thumb through the 12 disciples, he's not on the list, right? I mean, who do we have? You have Matthew. You have Simon Peter. You have James and John, the sons of thunder. You have Philip. You have Andrew, Peter's brother. You have Judas. You have, um, you have James and Jude, Jesus' half-brothers. And then you have um, Bartholomew, and you have Doubting Thomas. He was last because he wasn't sure he wanted to be with him. He was doubting himself. That's a joke. So, you know, you have those 12 right there. But Mark's not there. But don't you have to be a, one of the 12 to write the gospel? Yeah. So who was he? Well, Mark shows up in the book of Acts. His name is actually given as, um, as John, who was also called Mark. So what's the deal in Acts? What is he doing in Acts? Isn't Acts the, the story? Isn't the account of the birth of the New Testament church? Isn't the, isn't, isn't the, the, the story of Paul and the missionary journeys? Taking the gospel to the ends of the earth. What is, what is Mark, who's also, John, who's also called Mark, John Mark, what is he doing in Acts? Well, it's a great question. And this is the answer. Because Mark was the cousin of Barnabas. And also, we were told in the scriptures that Mark's mom lived in Jerusalem, and her house was a meeting place for the early church. So Mark's in the circle. You see what I'm saying? So even though he might not have been in the inner 12, he was absolutely involved in the ministry of Jesus. John Mark is never mentioned by name in the gospel. Most of the, most of the, most of the writers didn't name themselves. I think it was a lot of humility that God had even used them to pin down. So they're not going to make anything of themselves. So you don't see a lot of their names. They're not going to say, yeah, my name's John, and I wrote this. Give me credit. No, all glory goes to God. And so John, John Mark's never mentioned by name in the gospel. But if you remember the details of the arrest in the Garden of Gethsemane, there were some soldiers that rolled in there with torches at night. 
And they see, this is Mark 14. They seized this young person. And he slipped away. And the way that he was able to slip away is he slipped out of his clothes and he ran away naked. A lot of scholars say that in Mark 14, that's John Mark. Which means he was there when Jesus was arrested. Which means he was there when Peter grabbed a sword and, and sliced off the ear of the Roman official. What was Peter doing with a sword? He was a fisherman, which is probably why he missed, right? He's used to casting the net, not swinging a sword. But a lot of people think that that was John Mark right there. So he was a follower from a very early age. But his race of faith did not come without stumbles. And so this is where I want you to lean in. Yes, he wrote this gospel. But he was a man inspired to write it down just as God would have him write it. But because he was a man, because he was human, he still had his stumbles. Anybody ever had a stumble? Anybody, you know, have things in your past that slowed your race for Christ that you wish you could go and take back? Man, I do. Put me at the top of the list. We're stumblers. We're stumblers. Maybe you walked in here this morning and feel like you're a stumbler. Man, that's all I can do is stumble. Like two steps forward and three steps back. Well, I've got some good news. I want you to think about the game of basketball. One of the most important skills for a basketball player is the ability to rebound, right? There's no need for a rebound unless something has been missed. And if a shot is missed, y'all catch this, that means a shot was attempted. But there was something and something and somehow, you know, there was something that went wrong in the attempt that caused the shot to be missed. And so now the rebound is required. Maybe the player was just, his perspective was off. Maybe the shot was too short. Maybe the shot was too hard. Maybe the shot was too far to the left or to the right. Maybe a defensive player got in his way. If you with me, say I am. Maybe a defensive player got in his way. Maybe there was a foul right there. But any good coach that's worth their weight on the court knows that a player should go after that rebound. No coach would expect that player to miss the shot, hang his head and walk off the court, to quit to go to the sideline, to turn his back and walk away from the basket. No, I've seen, I've been a part of hours and hours and hours on the basketball court, haven't we? And so we teach our players how to box out. The reason that you box somebody out, the reason you push a defender back when a ball is being shot is because it gives you the greater, the greatest opportunity to when the ball bounces off the rim as a shot. Now you can do what, Parker? Rebound. You can get there. You have cleared the court to give you a chance to get it right again. The Bible says, and the Bible shows us, that there are so many people who miss the shot. The theme of the Bible is God's faithfulness during uncertain times. And when you miss a shot, and you stumble, and you get, you get wobbly on the track... 
This Bible convinces us and shows us that God is a God of a rebound. To God be the glory. Amen. In fact, God does some of his greatest works in men and women who missed the target and had to deal with the consequences of missing the shot. But they repented and they got back in the race and God used them on the rebound. Has God used you on the rebound? Come on, somebody. Do I have any friends in here this morning? Has God used you on the rebound? Yes. God never uses anything that first comes to Him already put together. He does His best work when you bring Him your junk on the rebound. And you know it's a messed up shot. But you run back to Him knowing that He can put it together. And He promises to restore us beyond repair when we put our brokenness in His hands. Anybody been restored beyond repair? Yeah. See, as a young man, John Mark, remember his cousin was Barnabas. So what we see in Acts is John Mark went with Paul and old cuz on their first missionary journey. But he had a major stumble. And according to Acts 13, Mark deserted him. He turned back. He deserted them at Perga over some issues. The Bible doesn't tell us what the issues exactly were. It could have been um, that there was a change in leadership and his allegiance was to his cousin. You know, blood's thicker than water. They, they, they say that, right? There was a point where Barnabas might have been in charge of the missionary journey. But at some point, it switched between Barnabas and Paul and, 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 and so John Mark would have had his allegiance to his cousin. So that could have been it, right? You can't, uh, uh, you know, I, I know who I'm going with. He's in charge. I'm with him. And so maybe, maybe it was that. Maybe it was because some scholars believe that when they were ministering to the Gentiles and Gentiles were getting saved, that Mark didn't agree with that because he was Jewish. Maybe that was the rub. Paul dealt with that a lot, right? That the gospel was... First to the Jew and then to the jury, the Gentile, for all men. That took a lot of getting. It doesn't, we, we don't have an issue with that because we're not Jewish. So we just kind of take that for granted. But in the first century, that was a very big cultural shift that the gospel was available to anybody. And a lot of people were like, uh-uh. You know, it would be like, you know, it would be like, you know, the whole Chick-fil-A Popeye's chicken sandwich thing. You know, uh-uh, there's only, there's only one Christian, there's only one, there's only one chicken sandwich that the hand of God has anointed. There's only one that the angel flies, while they close on Sunday, I tell you why, because the angels fly in there and they sprinkle their dust on the chicken batter. You know, so put yourself in that context, and it doesn't even compare, that's a very awful analogy. But the point is that when you're, when you're used to something and somebody comes in and try to change the way you've always thought, you have a natural resistance to it. And so the point was this, that after this, Paul refused to have Mark on his missionary team. He's like, mm -mm, you're done. You're disqualified. So whatever he did disqualified him from running with them anymore. And it's at this point that Barnabas and Mark, they split off. And Barnabas and Mark, they go to Cyprus. And then at this point, Paul picks up Silas, and they go to Syria. But in the providence of God, guess what? Now there's two missionary teams, right? 
God divided them. God used the stumble for His glory. But I want you to remember this. God is the God of the what? The rebound. And God willed for Mark to get back in the race. And though he had betrayed his commitment, he had betrayed his commitment, he had walked out on his commitment, he had found himself in a period of failure, breaking Paul's trust on the first missionary journey, the Bible tells us that John Mark later became a valued member of Paul's missionary team. Hallelujah. He was out of the race. And he was stumbling. He was scrambling for a rebound. But what we see is he was reinstated. We see this in Colossians chapter 4. That's a tough one right there. But what he's saying right here is this is Paul writing to this guy. And he's telling him, as hey, as my fellow prisoner, I want you to, you know, he sends you a greeting as does Mark. So at some point, Mark's back in the brace. Barnabas' cousin. So we see it right there. He's making it very clear who he wants to get back into the race. Concerning whom you have received instruction. If he comes to you, welcome him. Why would you welcome somebody again if you still have them on the outside? If you've deserted, you know, if you've disqualified them, you wouldn't welcome them back. So we see reconciliation right here. And so does Jesus, who is called Justice. These alone of the circumcised are my co-workers for the kingdom of God, and they have been a comfort to me. There's a healing right here. John Mark is back in the race. He got the chance to rebound. Man, aren't you glad you've had a chance to rebound? To God be the glory for that. That we can repent and we can prove our commitment again. And so I really believe this is, this is for somebody specific. If you are in here this morning and you feel like that a mistake that you've made has disqualified you from being used by Christ, that is not true. That's nothing but a lie this morning. Get rid of that junk. Pluck it out of your life. Be done with it. Because it's a lie from the enemy that wants to keep you out of the race. And yes, I'm not saying there's not consequences. You know, if I put my fist through a window, there's absolutely consequences. I can repair it and I'm going to bear the scar. Yes, there are consequences and periods of necessary restoration. But there is no mistake too big that God can't use it for His glory. Amen? That's the point here. The question is, what has you weighed down? What is it? What is that mistake? What is that thing you've said or that thing you've done or that moment or that action that you wish you could take back that Satan keeps pressing down on you? Because if you're living life and you're running a race, you're going to experience that at some point. So my encouragement to you is to lay those stumbles down this morning. Lay them down. Look for forgiveness. And stop looking back. That's what Mark's saying. There's a reason that a windshield is bigger than the rearview mirror. You ever thought about that? 
Why is that? Because, write this down, this is on your notes right here. Why is that? Because in Christ, what is in front of you is more important than what's behind you. Leave that stuff back there. Ask for forgiveness. Repent, lay it down, and move forward. Mark was a runner that knew you can't lose focus. He was also a runner that knew you couldn't look back. But the third thing that we see is this. Mark was a runner that knew you can't go alone. Hopefully one of the reasons that you walked in here this Sunday morning is because you realize you can't run the race of faith alone. Do you have to go to church to be a Christian? No. But why would you not? Do you have to go home to be married? No. But it helps. We need other people. Men need other men. Come on, guys. Amen. Women need fellowship. Women need other. Couples need other couples to run the race of life with. You can't go it alone. So how did Mark know so much about the life of Jesus to write his gospel? So we know, we know who he was. We know why he's writing. We know who he's writing to. But if he wasn't one of the twelve, where in the world did he get all the facts? Did he make it up? Did he dream it? Was it a vision? Was he on an island? Well, it's this. He surrounded himself with people that had been with Jesus. And I'll preach a message right there. That's how he knew. See, it's likely that John Mark was restored through Peter. Because we see in Colossians that, yes, he was restored. Where did that restoration come from? Well, it came from Peter. Because, remember, as a leader in the Jerusalem church... Peter was very familiar with the, the, the home of Mark's mother. So it's likely they met there in the house, the home church. You know, G, you know Mark was around the situations. But as he matured and as he stumbled, he met, up with, he met up with Peter. And the friendship between Peter and Mark was so special. It's also believed that maybe Peter led Mark to the Lord. Because in, in, in the book of Peter, it references Mark as his son in the faith. So he looked at him like a spiritual mentor, as a spiritual father. And the beautiful thing is this. If anybody understood the process of restoration, it was Peter. Who Jesus had restored miraculously and beautifully after the resurrection. After he had denied Christ three times. These things right here are just completely brought to life in a special way. There's a series out called The Chosen. You can download that app and you can watch that. But it happens all the time. You can see the Bible come to life. Isn't it just like God to take a man who had stumbled, who had, had been knocked out of the race, who had been sent home to be restored by a man that had been knocked out of the race and who had left broken, but God had met him in restoration. Man. So the thing is, Mark's content for his gospel, it came from the sermons that Peter was preaching as he was traveling around. So Mark was Peter's eyes and ears. He was his secretary. So he had restored him. He had brought him by his side. He's like, come on, boy, let's go. Let's go. Just follow me. I'm, I, am, I am full steam ahead. 
I'm going to be preaching. I'm going to be teaching. You hang with me and you just record everything that you hear and see. Which is why the book of Mark is so fast paced. It, it, you know, it bounces around. It's not in chrono, chronological order. And the reason is, is because Peter didn't preach in chronological order. When he'd roll into a community or a town, he knew the needs and he would preach a message similar to, you know, kind of what I do on Sunday mornings. You know, we're not starting in Genesis 1-1. You know, we don't work all the way through. You pray and you say, what, are the, what is the culture, you know, what does the culture need? What does our church family need? What, you know, what, is, what does our church need? What message right now? How to run well this summer. And I think we're confirmed because a lot of people moving this summer. So in the midst of that, Peter's rolling in and he's preaching specific topics to specific people in specific ways in a specific order. And Mark's writing it all down. He's got it. He's experiencing it right there. So yeah, who was this runner? Well, it's a guy that knew. It's important who you surround yourself with. And as he was going and as Peter was making an impact, the people in Rome were like, hey, can you write this down for us? Like, when you leave, we, we, we need this information. Will you pin all this down? So it was likely at the request of the people that Peter ministered to around Rome that, God, that, that Mark wrote his gospel to. So if he was a runner that knew you can't go alone, we need each other. The Wyatt family, it needs the Evans family. The Evans family needs the Johnson family. And the Johnson family, it needs the Rodriguez family. The Rodriguez family needs the Hilly family. And the Hilly family is needed by everybody. Because they're awesome people. You see what I'm saying? We can't run alone. Real friends are those people who when you think you've made a fool of yourself, they don't think you've done a permanent job. <laughs> godly friends. A godly friend is somebody who is there when the good times aren't. This is on your notes. A Christian friend is someone who gets in your way when you are on your way down. I'll close with this right here. Um, a lot of you guys know Debbie works at the Pregnancy Resource Center in Covington. And they have a house behind their office that has free-range chickens. The office is on Adams Street in downtown Covington. That's against the rules of the city of Covington to have free-range chickens inside the city limits. And so this continued for a while and it became a problem because all of these chickens that were free-range behind their building now became free-range in their parking lot. And when the weather was inclement, they would free-range on the sidewalk. And if it really got bad, they would free-range under the, the awning. And as they were free-ranging under the awning, I guess the lightning scared them and they started making a mess. Y'all see what I'm saying? And sometimes I would go by there and I would see these free-range chickens and I noticed something. All these free-range chickens were pecking and they were picking and they were scratching the food, the ground, looking for food. But they were all doing it together. 
And it hit me. Man, you know what they're doing? One, they're together because they're looking out for the predators. But the other reason that they work together is because if one person finds a feast, his friends aren't too far away to get in on the action. So what do they do? They scratch together. They're all hungry, looking for food, and they do it together. And if we've experienced the bread of life, why would we not want to do it together? Scratch around for the goodness of God together. Lift each other together. Run a good race together, knowing that we're not going to look back, we're not going to lose focus, and we're not going to go at it alone. Amen? And so my challenge for you this morning is if you're trying to do this alone, stop it. Get involved in a church family. If you're going at it alone because you feel like you've been weighed down and you've been suppressed by something that you just can't get over, stop it. Repent, turn, go for the rebound, get involved and serve the Lord. And if you're running your race for Christ and you're constantly looking back, you're losing focus. So this summer as we run, keep your eyes on the cross. Keep your heart in tune to His voice and run well this summer. Amen? Thanks for listening.